why don't you go ahead and uh, get your Bibles open to uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be here this morning. And uh, as we all know, uh, much is made this time of year around the idea of what Christmas is really all about. Right? If you were to talk to any number of people, they might all give you sort of a different answer to that. I mean, clearly, one of the massive thrusts in our culture today is uh, towards consumerism. Right? It's, about, uh, it's about spending money. It's about, it's about buying. It's about receiving gifts. I mean, I wonder how many of us you know, really just kind of took advantage of uh, the Black Friday deals out there, right? We're going to get our, you know, some of our Christmas shopping done and get some, some deals around that. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I wonder how many of our kids, you know, have already delivered uh, to us their, their Christmas, uh, Christmas wish lists, right? They had those prepared, I think, like early June uh, or something like that. Uh, you know, some would say that Christmas is, is all about being with family, being with family and loved ones and carrying on our traditions together. I love that. And for you, you know, you think about, you know, lots of uh, turkey dinners uh, together. You think about, you know, all the different, you know, unique traditions that you do as a family. Maybe you have family sing-alongs. I know some uh, do that. That feels like uh, a bit of a terrifying thing uh, for me personally. Um, but just to be clear on all of this, um, just so you kind of know where my heart lies in on all of it. I, I personally, I have no problem with, with buying gifts, right? I have, I have no problem with uh, spending money, of course, doing that, doing that within reason. Don't blow our budgets uh, to do all of that. But I have no problem with that kind of thing. I have no problem with, with Christmas trees personally and, you know, enjoying traditions with family and loved ones. Okay, that being said, okay, all of these examples can, of course, overshadow what Christmas is uh, actually about, which is the birth of our Savior, right? That's what it's about. Now, as believers, we know that, <laughs> okay? We know that. That's, that's not news to uh, most of us here, I think, uh, but don't you find it uh, somewhat amazing just how how easily the magnitude of the birth of Christ uh, is so, can be so lost on us, right? We know that it's about Jesus. It, that exists somewhere kind of in the, in the back of our minds, at least at certain points it is, but it can easily be eclipsed uh, by some of these other things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have had years, I mean, you can even ask my wife, I have had years where I have been hyper-focused on, on, on getting new golf clubs, okay, at, at Golf Town's Boxing Day sale, right? If you are married to a golfer, uh, you know the disease that that is. I know I, I've been in that kind of a place where that's just dominated my thinking. I'm like, you know, blinders are on and, and, and this is all I really think about. Right, getting golf clubs. I know that Ange and I, we also have this tradition that we've been doing in uh, the last few years where we kind of ditch our kids to their grandparents and, and go and spend a night or two uh, in a hotel, usually in Toronto, and just kind of get away and, and, and eat out and, and walk around and all of that and kind of wind down. We love that. And I know that for me though, that can be like the dominating thing in my mind, right? It's, it's like I'm living for that, right? I can't wait to get through some of these other details so that I can just, I can get away with my wife, right? Our our hearts, they can be so kind of consumed by things like this during the Christmas season. And to the point where Jesus, sadly, he can be you know, a little more than an afterthought, I think. 
And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to kind of turn the tide a little bit. I think we want to, we want to try and take some ground here, you know, get our, our easily distracted minds and, and, and hearts back onto the birth of Christ so that it's not lost on us, right? Because we're, we're living in a world, okay, that, that is going after anything but this, right? After anything but Jesus. And, and what is the world trying to do? It's trying to, trying to sweep us up along in the chaos, all right, and so I want to pray, and then we'll read uh, Mark chapter 1 and get right into this. So why don't you join me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word, Lord. And, and as we you know, focus on Christ and we focus on uh, his birth, God, I pray that this would not just be like, oh yeah, one of those things I think about on a Sunday, and then I'm just back into the fray of all the other things that tend to dominate my thinking in, in life. Lord, I pray that this would truly grip our souls, and, and Lord, that um, the power of uh, your birth, the virgin birth, the incarnation. Lord, I pray, that, I pray that it would strike us here. Lord, I pray that it would soften our hearts. I pray that it would give us joy. Lord, I pray uh, that it would lead us to deeper repentance. I pray that uh, it would lead us towards uh, just following you and, and, and seeking to carry out your mission in your power and for your glory. And so Lord, uh, speak to us here this morning. Lord, as we work through these verses, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would inspire us, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, is your focus on Jesus this season? Is, is your focus on his birth and all of the many implications of that? Now, maybe... Uh, some of us here would say, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of think so. I, I feel like, I, you know, I've been in God's word and I've been kind of thinking about this quite a bit and I'm not much of a shopper. And so those things uh, tend to not overwhelm me and take over, right? Maybe for you, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, no, I'm not really focusing on Jesus to be uh, perfectly honest or others still may be saying, you know, I, I, I think so, but but I'm not, I'm not too sure. Maybe it's not enough of a focus or, you know, how can I, how can I even tell? Okay, well, that's really what we're trying to get into here today. And so here's the first thing. If you're a note taker, it's this. The birth of Christ is not lost on me when I accept that my need to repent is what made it necessary. Okay, take a look at verse one as we go through the first uh, five verses here. Look what it says. It says, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. You know, interestingly, uh, that word uh, beginning there that you see is the same word that we saw last week in Matthew, which is translated there as genealogy. Remember, we spent time going through the genealogy and tracing the lineage uh, of Christ. Now, do you remember what that word genealogy or beginning literally was? Pop quiz church. Do you remember what that word is in, in the original language? It's the word Genesis, right? Genesis. Now here, Mark, he doesn't present us with uh, a genealogy, but he does use the same word to convey the same idea as Matthew, okay? That the entrance of Christ into his creation ushers in a brand new beginning for mankind, okay? Which for you and I, as, as we read that, it signals to us that, that something truly epic is about to take place here that, that Mark is going to get into uh, as he uh, writes his gospel, okay? Christ coming is no ordinary event. It's not a ho-hum thing. It's like, it, it's, it's the event upon which uh, all of human history uh, really pivots, okay? And so let's 
Take a look at verse two now. It says this, it says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Okay, now Isaiah is mentioned here because um, most of the content of these next two verses that you see there in your Bible in, in quotations and indented there, you see that. Okay, most of that is, uh, it comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse three. Okay, but the very first part, that first line comes from Malachi uh, 3, verse one, look what it says here in verse two. It says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That's Malachi 3.1. Now this is Isaiah 40, verse three. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You know, all of this is referring to John the Baptist, Okay, the one whom both Malachi and Isaiah uh, prophesied about. Okay, he is the one who, whom God would send uh, to prepare. You see that word there in verse three, right? To prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Lord. Okay, so Jesus would come and, and he would do something so, so entirely paradigm shifting. Right? And that being the, the redemption of his creation that's just been completely demolished by, by sin. Right? That people needed to be prepped and, and prepared in advance for such a momentous moment. That was John's task, to come and prepare them. You know, I think I can give you a bit of a, a negative example of that. Just last uh, Sunday, okay, our family continued our uh, magical tradition of going out uh, to cut down a Christmas tree, okay, but just getting uh, super frustrated by the whole event and getting lost along the way and then going out there in the freezing cold and then not being able to find a tree at all that looked anywhere half decent and then just deciding to stop by a, a tree stand on the way home and cutting or, or just buying one that was pre-cut. Right, truly a, a whimsical time of year uh, for the Armstrongs, right? Now the kids' excitement, okay, it was, as you can imagine, at a fever pitch, right? They are just jacked. They are buzzing, right? No caffeine needed whatsoever because they're so excited. They can't wait to get the tree home and they know that's gonna mean hot chocolate and they get to decorate it and we're probably gonna have pizza and watch a Christmas movie, like all of that type of thing. They're psyched. Okay, and so what we started to realize uh, earlier that morning was like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have to prepare these kids because we know how this is gonna go. We're all gonna be in bad moods, right? We're not gonna find a tree. It's gonna be terrible, right? And so we started, hey, guys, just so you know, you know, because we're preparing them for the fact that, hey, this might not quite work out as, uh, as you think it might. Now here in our text, okay, John was sent to prepare people for what would definitely happen. Okay, and it was going to be far from a miserable thing. It was going to be an awesome thing. Okay, Jesus was entering into the world uh, to pay for just the crushing sin debt that humanity had racked up and was unable to pay off. And by doing this, Jesus, by this act, Jesus would, would bring you and I, he would bring uh, mankind into a right relationship with our creator, with our God, with, with the Lord, as it was all intended uh, from the very beginning. Okay, now, what exactly was that preparation piece that, that John the Baptist uh, was sent to do? What did that look like? Well, take a look at verse four. It shows us. Okay, John appeared. Okay, so there he is, 
right? He's the fulfillment of the prophecies that we read about in, in Malachi 3 and in Isaiah 40, prophecies that happened 500 and 700 years before he came. Pretty amazing there. So John appeared. What did he do? Well, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You know, a couple of things to flesh out there. Okay, first of all, John's baptism. Okay, if we've talked about that word before. That word literally means uh, to dip fully uh, or to plunge or to immerse Okay, now when we hear that, when we hear the word baptism, we're just kind of like, well, yeah, like baptism, right? Like we, we just had one of those services here just a few weeks ago, probably a month ago now, baptized three students. And we do that a couple of times a year and, and it's a wonderful thing and an amazing thing for our church. Something many of us, most of us probably uh, have done as a step of obedience uh, to the Lord. Okay, we need to understand that, that for these people though, they'd never seen anything like this before. Right? For them, this was, this was an entirely new concept. Okay? Kent Hughes, he's a, he's a theologian, and, and he notes that their, their only real understanding of, of something baptism-like prior to this was, was what would have happened when Gentiles converted to Judaism. They were, they were kind of baptized, not in the same way, but they were baptized as a, as a symbolic cleansing uh, from their prior paganism. Now, it was a little bit different. It was something that they kind of administered. It was like a ritual kind of washing uh, that they did, okay? This was Gentiles when they became, uh, when, they became when they converted to Judaism, okay? But, but Jews getting baptized, right? That was in, entirely uh, unheard of. Okay, yet here they were, right? They were, they were going out, it says, to be baptized by John. And, and his baptism focused entirely on a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, and so these people, just kind of picture, as they're going out to do this, they would have had some understanding that, that John's baptism and, and, and that being about their repentance meant that, that, that something, something new was brewing here, right? Something new was afoot. There's this dramatic shift now taking place for, for them as a people. It was like the dawn of a new age. Okay, that, that John ministered in the wilderness, that's also something that we need to know here, very significant and uh, very intentional. Okay, because when you hear, you know, the, the Israelites, or you hear about the, you know, the Jews and the wilderness, what do you automatically think? Well, your mind is probably drawn back to, you know, the Old Testament when they, when they left Egypt, right? And they came out with, with Moses and that 40-year time period between that and just before they got into the promised land, right? Where they, they wandered uh, in the wilderness. Okay, so when, when verse 5 says that all the country of Judea and, and all Jerusalem were going out to him, out into the wilderness, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, right? Just as they had once passed through the Red Sea there, the waters of the Red Sea. So you can see some connections here with water. Okay, they're, they're, they're uh, in the river Jordan confessing their sins, right? The, the, the symbolism would not have been lost in them. Right? They, they would have been thinking, wow, this, is, this, is, this sounds very familiar to us. Right? The, the 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness was, was an extremely crucial time uh, for them in this nation, their history. 
where they experienced, and I mean, we know the stories, right? Usually the hard way, the profound reality of their hard-heartedness, of their stubbornness, of their, of their sinfulness, and, and out of that, their great need for God to forgive them and save them. Okay, so the wilderness was, was where God gave Israel the law, right? Where, where through the law, their, their spiritual eyes were opened. That was the intent of it. And, and, they, and they, they would realize, wow, like the Lord is, is so holy, Right? We, we see his standards here. We see, we see the, 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 how, how meticulous it is. But at the same time, they would have been realizing, uh-oh, I am not holy. Right? I, I am not good at, at following the law. Uh, how, how could I possibly obey his law properly? Because they would have been realizing just the crooked bent of their, of their sinful nature. Right? Which meant that they would just be constantly reverting back into their prideful ways, into their, into their selfishness and, and sin. All which really meant that they were predisposed to, to just rejecting God continually. Okay, so the wilderness was, was God's you know, ordained time period where he unearthed to them the, the true depth of their depravity and their need for God, again, to forgive them and to pour out his grace, which he did when they did what? Repented, right? When they repented, repentance, you see the word in there, it, it literally means uh, to change one's mind, okay? Or, or to alter one's understanding. And it, it's, it's the confessing of sins, as you see there, where, where we essentially, we're, we're changing our minds about our, our sinful deeds, Right? We're no longer you know, holding on to that and saying, what I am doing is right. What I am doing is, is good. No, repentance means that now we agree with God about that and what, what he says about that, that, that we're in the wrong. And as James Edwards, another theologian puts it, repentance is where we seek moral and spiritual renewal. And so here in Mark chapter one, God was moving through John the Baptist to prepare God's people for the plan that he was about to set into motion. Okay, that plan, of course, was Jesus. Okay, and he would be born in a manger. Okay, so that, but so that the, the, the importance and the magnitude of all of that, his birth, would not be lost on them. Okay, they would first need to realize that, that their sin against God requiring repentance is what made Christ's birth necessary in the first place. See, again, this time of year for you and I, it's just so easy for us to become so dulled to all of this, isn't it? We're dulled by the kind of the commercialized and sanitized and watered down versions of, of Jesus that we see all over the place in Hallmark movies and, and, and in Christmas greeting cards and in you know, songs on the radio even sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if the main reason the, the significance of his birth gets lost on us is, is because we're not properly prepared. Right? We haven't prepared ourselves. We, have, we haven't carefully and, and, and honestly kind of considered our, our need for Christ. Right? And as a result, there, there hasn't really been enough repentance in our lives or, or maybe it's just been too shallow. Like, oh yeah, that's wrong. I, I shouldn't do that. You know, but we, we don't, we don't kind of consider these things deeply and contemplate how far we fall short of God's standards. But when we do, and, 
And we repent as, as, as the Lord in his grace and in his goodness, as he exposes our sin to us and as we lay that before him and, and ask for forgiveness and, and seek more grace, then we grow more appreciative of his birth. And his birth, when we consider what, why he came in the first place, that begins to stir our hearts. And the birth of Christ becomes wonderful to us. It has a more profound effect on us because we realize just how necessary it was that he came. Because right? if he didn't, what does that mean for us? It means that we're all still lost in our sin. We're still under the, the condemnation of the law and we're at odds with our maker. So, hey, as, as you and I, as we're considering these things here this morning, I, I'll just kind of frame it up in a question this way. Okay, do you, do you need to go to the wilderness today? Do you need to, to spend some time doing that? Is, is there some sin in your life that, that you need to, again, kind of change your mind about, right? And get into agreement with God about, right? As you can tell, we're, we're, we're gonna be taking communion up here this morning and in a few minutes. And, and so we, I think it's good for us, even as the word is being preached right now, to just cons consider these things and, and continue to lay our hearts before the Lord and seek him for, for forgiveness. And Lord, show me, is there anything wrong within me that I need to confess? Lord, show me how good it is to do that. Okay, keep in mind that as God's work of repentance takes effect in your heart, your appreciation for the birth of Christ, it'll only grow. Because again, you'll realize the necessity of it. We had to come and he had to purchase your forgiveness. Then don't, don't ever view repentance as you know, some unfortunate topic that I guess we need to talk about that, but, but let's only do that as, as little as possible because it's too uncomfortable. No, don't, don't, don't view it as that. View it as, as kind of the gateway to joy. Right? View it as, as the gateway towards, towards peace, joy in, in the birth of your Savior. All right, let's keep going. Next thing. The birth of Christ is not lost on me when my life reflects one that's been totally transformed by him. Now, here's the part as we uh, get into the verse here, where we start to see not just kind of what type of guy that John was, but but what happens in you and I as we get saved and apply the reality of, uh, of Christ's birth in deeper ways, right? What happens is that we're transformed, right? We're, we're made new, right? We, we, we've, in, we've internalized um, this. It's something that happens inwardly and it's something that, that naturally affects us outwardly as well. All which is a, is a sign that the birth of Christ has not been lost on us, right? Again, it's, it's this internalized thing and, and we've done that and, the, and we think about the implications of that and we're acting on that to the point where, where God has used the gospel, okay, to totally change our hearts. And then of course, our very lives as a result. And before we get too much into that, let's take, first take a look at, at who John the Baptist was a little bit. Verse six, take a look at this. It says, now John uh, was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You know, usually what happens at this point in the sermon is the pastor kind of pauses here for a second and you know, we kind of make some comment about how, you know, kind of unique and how kind of strange uh, this is and how, how kind of wild of a guy John the Baptist must have been. But kind of the way that this was striking me this week is like, this is, this is not even strange at all. Right? This, isn't, this isn't weird even, even a little bit. Right? If you've ever shopped at like, you know, Whole Foods or... Or, or nature's important. You've seen like 
John the Baptist guys all over the place, right? Just walking up and down the aisles, right? They're, you know, they're buying their locust and raw honey energy bars, right? Wearing ethically sourced camel hair fleece sweaters. Maybe that's a bit of a reach. Yeah, but seriously though, John, John wasn't, John wasn't like some weirdo. Okay, we kind of look at that and we're like, yeah, he was, but, but he, he wasn't. It's, it's rather that he, he just believed the message that he was proclaiming, right? He'd internalized it. He had been transformed by it himself and he was now living it out, okay? He was, he was very similar to Elijah, okay? Elijah, in, in actually in, in 2 Kings 1 verse 8, it tells us that, that Elijah uh, must have shopped at the same store as, as, uh, as John the Baptist did. They dressed very similarly. In, in, in Luke chapter one, in verse 15, it actually links Elijah and John together. I'm just gonna read it. It says, for he will be great. This is John. He will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of who? Of Elijah. Okay, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so just as Elijah's deal was proclaiming a message of repentance uh, to the Jews, uh, John's was the exact same. Right, it was his, his clothing, his his food. It was it was really a a heartfelt kind of protest of of, of the rampant materialism and worldliness and and godlessness of his day. Okay, very similar type day as as the one that we live in. And again, it was a message that he himself was living out. Okay, John was all in, not just on telling other people what to do but living in line with that very message himself. And it was, of course, this message of repentance that set the table for the coming king. Now, we've, we've already covered how Christ would come to forgive, okay, but he came to do even more. Right? He came to totally transform the hearts and the lives of the people that he came for. Okay, John uh, points out next, not just how much greater Jesus is compared to him, but, but how, how deep uh, the transformative effect Christ's work would have on those whom he saved. And we see all that starting in verse seven. It says, and he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Right, what humility there. Right? John, John knew his role. Right? He knew he was a setup man. Right? He, 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 he knew his, his job, his position, and how great the Messiah would be who was coming after him. Right? If you continue in the verse, he says, I, I have baptized you with, with water. Okay, so think of that as, as an external act. Okay? Uh, washing with water being an external thing. He says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, something that that Christ does to us internally. See, this is John's way of saying that, that his call to repentance is, is necessary, right? It, it, it's very good, okay? But repentance on its own is not enough. It's not the whole story, okay? You and I need grace. 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting of cleansing us and transforming us. We need the Holy Spirit to to wash us clean and to give us or or, or be the very power that, that functionally, practically, actually changes us. Okay, this is a... This is a work of grace accomplished for us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And when we get saved, all right, we are given or we are baptized with the Holy Spirit that God um, has given us, okay, that he pours out on us internally with, with real effectual power, which is exactly what you and I need to be forgiven and be transformed. Right? In order to, to be righteous in God's eyes, we need that. In order to then live righteously, we need that. Right? This is the good news of the gospel. Right? I love that. Right? Recognizing your sinfulness, very necessary, an important, crucial step. Okay? But ultimately, very little if it's not accompanied by real power from God to cleanse and transform our hearts. Hey, all of which, of course, is God's plan inaugurated at Christ's birth. Now, as our hearts, you know, are transformed inwardly, right? As that is happening, this leads to outward transformation as well. Okay, if you think about it, as, as your hearts and, and as your desires and as your motives are, are cleansed, okay, as they are, as they are changed, this will inevitably lead to outward action as well, right? Outward action that lines up with what your heart now truly desires, which is God's glory. Okay, so let me kind of put it this way, give an example of, of, of sin. Okay, when, when a person... Um, has been humbled and repents of something like, like viewing pornography, let's say, okay, and their heart is changed by the gospel, okay, their desires will change. Okay, they'll be sickened by their sin, right? They're, they'll desire to love Christ more than they love themselves, right? That, that's, that's, that's the inward transformation that is taking place. And then, and then outwardly, what will happen is there will be, there will be a visible tra- uh, transformation that takes place as well. Okay? And that the person no longer, you know, actually looks at pornography, right? They live in obedience to Christ. Now, of course, we know that this is, uh, you know, I, I made that sound like a real simple thing and that's real easy and that's pretty clean and let's tie that off. We know that that's messy, but we, we know that when we are saved and as our hearts are changing, we will change outwardly over time. Okay, so listen, question, are you transforming? If you are inwardly and then outwardly, it's a sure sign that the birth of Christ, okay, the gospel has not been lost on you, right? You, you, you get it or, or you're, you're learning in it and you know, you, you know that, that you're hopelessly lost. You know that you need to repent and, and you have and you are, you're continuing to do that and you, you've been saved, that happened and, and you've been cleansed and you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which again involves your heart and your mind and your actions being transformed as well. All of which is initiated at Christ's birth and, and completed through his death and through his resurrection. So church, are, again, are, are we transforming? Are we 
growing? Is, is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you? Right? Can you, can you see the effect, that, you know, the Holy Spirit's effect on your life as you kind of look back on your life and, and look at it in the rearview mirror? You know, as you look back on the last, you know, several months or, or on the last several years, can you see that? Yeah, I can see signs of grace. I can see signs where my heart is, is changing. And I know that I have some bad days, certainly. But I can also see that the Lord's Spirit is, is at work in my heart and in my life. Again, if you can see that, again, it's, it's a sign that, that his birth has not been lost on you, not at all. Hey, but listen, if you don't see transformation happening, then we should be concerned. It's a good thing to be concerned about that. Worst case scenario, it might mean that you're not actually saved. Right? Maybe you thought that you were, but maybe there's no real change happening in your life uh, really at all. And, and maybe the message for you here today is that you need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. You need to repent of sin. You need to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers you, that he accomplished for you in his coming, in his death, his resurrection. Or if if you don't see much in the way of transformation or, you know, you are, you know, you know kind of burdened by the fact that it's, it's really slow. I think a lot of us kind of feel that way, okay? Perhaps it just means that, that we've been quenching the Holy Spirit through our pride and through our sin. Okay? And if so, I'm just say continue to confess those things. Continue to work towards repentance as, as you kind of think deeply and, and carefully about the birth of your Savior, as you think about why he came in the first place, purpose in your heart this morning, that this is, this is not gonna be lost on me this time of year. As I think about Christmas and there's all the competing voices as to what that's all about, I'm, I'm not gonna let those things drown out what it's truly all about. I'm not gonna do that now. I'm not gonna do that ever, right? That's gonna happen by grace, of course, but commit to that. Allow the greatness of Christ's entrance into this sinful world motivate you, okay, to plead for more grace, to plead for more Holy Spirit power in your life so that you continue to change to the glory of God. 